Okay. Okay. I think this thing's working. Everyone out there, welcome to the first ever podcast episode of The Artist and the Salesman. I am your host, Scott McDonald. With me today, gracing us with his presence, is a good friend of mine and a fella who knows a little bit about a lot. His name is Bobby White Wolf Garofalo. And uh, strangely enough, he, he actually uh, officiated my wedding as well. That's uh, just a fun fact. We'll just throw that out there to start with. Bobby, why don't you uh, say hello to the crowd out there and uh, tell, us, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Hello to the crowd out there. <laughs> um, my name is, as Scott already introduced me, uh, Bobby, I got, you know, Bobby White Wolf. My full name's, uh, if you want to steal my identity, which I already got stolen, is uh, Bobby, Bobby, Joe, Bobby Joseph White Wolf Garofalo. The White Wolf has no H. It's my real middle name. Um, but, you know, that's my stage name now. I do music and I been composing a little bit i work uh, i i've known scott for a while we've set dressed uh he's led and he's hired me and um now, now for the folks out there that don't know what that that's that means uh, to to have led what now first off i guess just preface it by saying that bobby and i are set dressers and property people in the local 44 union in hollywood california uh, and then we work on commercials, television shows, films, music videos, still shoots, webisodes, anything you can imagine. Uh, so Bobby and I have been doing this uh, for, I've been in for 12 years, almost in the union now, 20 in the biz. Whoa. But I'm trying like to old. think, yeah, <laughs> but I'm trying to think when you and I met. So I got... I started in the business in 2009 as a RPA, uh, and then I met you right when I got in the union. And I've been in about seven, six or seven years now. Okay. I believe it took me actually it took me maybe six years because it took me five years to get in. And and the, one of the first jobs I did, we were doing the reshoots for Endless Love remake. I do recall that over and at we, I want to say yeah. Universal was that at Universal? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we did that, and we were also doing assets. And we were, assets is a glorified way of saying inventory and putting boxes in places. Yeah. All, all, this, all the stuff that uh, doesn't get rented uh, for usage in, in a film, they often purchase it and then, well, heck, they want to hold on to it. They want to get their money's worth out of it. They might want to have it on their next movie. So they yeah, throw it in a warehouse. But guys like Bobby and myself are the ones that have to organize it all, uh, categorize it, photograph it, and so on and so forth. So it's like stupid and cool at the same time because yeah, in this warehouse sure. there was like cars from like Mad Max and, and Fast and Furious was, cars yeah, and everything. There, yeah, there was also like boxes from some samurai movie, and I, I remember seeing all these weapons and shit. And I remember that uh, we tried some yeah. stuff on. We probably weren't supposed to, but uh, yeah. we but had we a little fun. We put, put everything back, back exactly where we found yeah. it. We were there so, for I want to yeah. say two weeks or so, so we kind of got a little kooky after a while. Yeah, I don't know if I brought this up on one of my because I, I don't mean to do a shameless plug. Oh no, my own please podcast, plug away, sir. Plug but away. even though I haven't done an episode since like uh, probably April or June or something because I've been a bad podcaster. Mm -hmm. Also, my computer. I just got a new computer finally, uh, upgraded. My Always computer. I had a 2011 MacBook, 
and it finally died after 10 effing years. That's about the right. shelf life yeah. on those bad boys. It gets to yeah, the point dude. where you can no longer update the, the operating well, system, and it just basically gives the middle finger. My graphics card died like seven months ago, and I put a, a software update that, or I, I made like, I, my buddy sent me this hack that basically Ooh. reroutes your, your graphics card to run off of your computer processor so that way you can just run your computer, but it's like limping along. It like sounded like it was going to die every day. Um, was this like anyways, a Matthew Lillard, Angelina Jolie type of a hack? Was there anyone wearing rollerblades? The, the article he sent me had some hot chick in it in a bathing suit, but it was a very ah. informative art. It shows you, you start your computer in recovery mode and you literally have to fill in all this code which is like, so you feel like a hacker. And if you, I, I mean, I was saying out loud, like every couple of minutes, I was like, hacker. and yeah, then like, man. and I was just hoping it would work. And all it did. ones and zeros, all ones and it zeros. Was. But uh, so I, on my, my podcast is the White Wolf Den and you can find it on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, pretty much anything. And even though I'm not like current, like all the stuff that's on there, I think is interesting or I wouldn't have done it. It's like a music based. I st- talk about the film business as well. So. I, I might have brought this up on my podcast. One time I was with the uh, the gentleman who helped me get in the union, a certain redhead gentleman who's oh, probably going to I believe I know this uh, this gentleman well. Yeah. I believe he's a, a pretty solid guy and quite a character. He's quite, quite and a he, character. And we'll probably end up talking about him on this podcast. I hope to have him on this podcast yeah. uh, at some oh, point uh, if I can so pull him away says, from his many endeavors. His name is James Costello. And uh, so he... Uh, I'm, if it wasn't with him, it, it was with maybe we were doing a commercial and we it had was Cox take, Cable, wasn't it? The Cox Cable commercial, or no, that was he was driving on that. Well, there was some commercial we did where we had to bring a bunch of shit for like to uh, a storage, Western storage, but in Santa Clarita. Oh, I vaguely remember that. And in Santa Clarita, like, so it's like a huge warehouse similar, and all. The, there's all these areas that are taped off with boxes and, and stuff from TV shows, game shows, movies. Like, so when I walked into this place to take this junk from a commercial that we did, it was junk, you know? And I guess they borrowed it from there and we had to return it. And dude, all of a sudden I'm walking through like, like history, like literally like we passed these miniature skyscrapers that were six feet tall. Some of them were eight feet tall that were the original skyscrapers for uh, King Kong from 1930. Jesus. And they're just sitting there collecting dust and just falling apart. And literally you turn left and look straight ahead. You're walking down like this little aisle. It's like, it, it's an aisle only because you're surrounded by different prop areas. Are these 1982, uh, there are these Rolls Royces, I think that were from the Muppets movie. Ooh, that maybe were, a Rolls Royce and, Phantom perhaps. That's but a, the, <laughs> well, these were like, they, they were like, hand colored rolls royces Just that were like gathering dust the f- tires are flat they've been sitting there since they made the movie and apparently they had been cut so that the, they had to be specially made to do muppet shit in them so that's makes why sense. they're not just makes sense. out and about in the world. But th- you have these freaking Rolls Royces just sitting there collecting dust. It made me sick because I'm like, these fucking thi- at least one of those cars, but this whole should like, be, setup sh- should be in a museum. Exactly. You, you know? sound like or Indiana should... Jones. Yeah. On the subject but, of the Muppets, have you ever worked with the Muppets? Is you know I, his answer? 
I you have. already know this answer? I think I, I have. I did. I, I worked. I with, worked uh, on a. I worked on a Weezer video. Uh, the 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 band Weezer. They had a delightful yeah. video, I believe, from the Green album, that yeah. uh, featured the Muppets, and okay. uh, we had all the the folks that were the original puppet operators and whatnot. And these guys were all kind of really hip old uh, stonery hippie fellas with literally ponytails down to their butts and big old beards kind of look like almond brothers types and they just uh they had all kinds of fun stories and whatnot and and between yeah. takes they would just conversate with each other through the muppets because you know they're under kind of underneath the set and obviously you're just seeing the the puppet itself but you know right when they called cut it'd be like oh hey jack what'd you do this weekend oh you know i took the kids out to the lake brought the toy hauler and everything and it was just hilarious seeing the dynamic between them. But what I found the craziest and creepiest is that uh, when they're not operating one of them, they put like a, a sheet over them because you're never supposed to see one of them not animate, particularly okay. Miss Piggy. It was some kind of a big rule. But, no, uh, we, we didn't, I didn't get to see anything like that because I, I ended up, I worked on some Muppets thing with my butt with Landon Padilla. I don't know if you know. Oh, him. I do know Landon Padilla. Yeah, I actually had him on my show talking about uh, horse racing. Uh, he's a, quite the expert. Actually, I'm not even joking. I was going to ask you: really Do you still job. own a horse, a racehorse? Is that still going I do, on? I don't. I don't. Well, well I don't. But, but <laughs> okay. I mean, but I, I did. But then she's like happy in a pasture somewhere, supposedly. Hey, that's you know. <laughs> she's retired. So, well, but you still retain uh, ownership. Well, no. But it, well, I, I, you stay a horse owner, even if you, when you own a horse, you can keep every three years. You pay like a hundred and. 25 or 150 bucks and right. you keep re-upping and right. whenever this fucking covid's over but like you have access to all the racetracks anywhere like to the every area to the big baller areas oh i remember so you like, telling me about that yeah. yeah we gotta go do that yeah whenever hey, when, when it opens up again yeah I guess. but uh landon padilla he's also like a lead man set dresser and he uh we, he hired me oh god this is going to kill me that I'm trying to remember the production designer. I work with him all the time. He, uh, he hired me to work on the Muppets staycation. And it was like, uh, mm. they were, do they were doing, um, like science experiments and things like that. And that was the first time working with them. They didn't really keep them under the sheets though. They had like a room where they kept them on top on these, um, on the little stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Sit on. yeah. And yeah. so I saw all of them in there and, uh, hmm. and, uh, be, and then, so I never saw them really hidden, but, um, I got to see the stage the way that uh, did you talk did you do the stages where it was like um steel deck everywhere is that mm -hmm, you guys mm -hmm. yeah we had to do that and, and, and that's like we, we we recreated the original sets from the Muppet show uh that had burned down in a fire in England many many years ago after the production right. of that show ceased uh and there were no plans there were no schematics and since this was really pre-computer we we had to watch VHS tapes of the Muppet Show and basically pause it continuously to pull elements out of that to recreate the sets. And when it was all said and done, the Muppet folks liked them so much, uh, they thought they were so accurate that they requested to ship them back to England. They took the, all the sets we built uh, for any future Muppet Show type stuff. Now, I don't know if they used them for that muppet was there i think there was a new muppet show at some point recently i never caught it but we don't watch tv because we're busy yeah. at any rate yeah at any rate uh yeah muppets huh Fucking weird <laughs> well you know yeah no but it, so it's like but we you, for anybody who doesn't know what steel deck is 
It's like oh. every set dresser hates it, and it's Ugh. supposed to be a grip thing, but but four we ended by up eight being, yeah, plywood, one inch yeah. thick, attached to a steel frame with yeah. hollow steel legs. Yeah, uh, but you usually move the the top, and you'll get the legs. You'll put the legs on, and then you flip it, and then you put a bunch of them together. It's like stage for like yeah, you uh, you, it's like a rock and roll stage. You Essentially, know? yeah, exactly, yeah. So they put everything on steel deck because they set up their cameras. And 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 uh, they can do their they can do their things and uh, on the couches and then all the couches have little holes that all the Muppets can go through all the furniture. Exactly. Wait a minute, we don't want to ruin anybody's oh, magic. Yeah. yeah, for any of you out there that thought the Muppets were real, then this might not be the podcast for you. <laughs> uh, um, well, we just uh, yeah, we might have caused a big problem. Let but me now twenty one twenty twenty one is starting off horrendous for some people. Uh, for, uh, yeah, some people are beginning to question existence uh, <laughs> as it pertains to uh, Jim Muppets. Henson and the Muppet Muppet yeah. world. What yeah. uh, if you had to guess? Not guess. If you had to think about it, what's your favorite project? Uh, or maybe how is to make it easier? Your top three <laughs> favorite things you have worked on uh, since you have joined. The film industry as a set dresser property individual. Okay, couple things. I'm gonna start with number one because I'm working on it right now, and and and, and I'm not doing this to kiss the show's ass to keep hiring me. Um, but Which program uh, is this? So I, I work on. I'm the onset dresser on Blackish uh, on ABC. Uh, I've been there. Since, I've been there since season three. One of the reasons, I'm going to tell you every reason why I, I love that show, and I'm going to start with the most selfish reasons. And the all first right, one is, right. good. Uh, when I was asked to work on it, they uh, I didn't really ask a lot of questions because who called me? It was my friend Lima, Erasmo Lima. He's a set dresser. He's probably who I would call the best set dresser I've ever worked with. No offense. Hey, <laughs> but I'm he, taken. I'm taken. He could do, like, he, he could. he's one of those guys, like, I mean, first of all, his toolkit, it's like a two-wheel dolly that weighs as much as a five-ton with, like, chains on it. Um, and he has the 10-inch knife that he carries around for some oh, yeah. reason. Um, but we he called know. me and he asked me to work on that show and to onset. And and I almost, I, I was always a commercial guy who did jobs for a week to two weeks to one day to two days and was kind of happy to be flexible. Um, that's that's a, he, a common thing in our world. And he called me to set dress. He called me to to be the on set dresser, which is with camera. For and I said, well, okay. And I was worried because I was like, fuck, I hate commitments. I hate it. And I was on a commercial already that was going on to another week. And commercials good money. So he goes, great money. Great. He goes, dude, it goes from August until March the next year. And I was like, wow. I said, that's a lot of work. I said, you know, I mean, I'm kind of interested. I said, he goes, I said, where does it shoot? He goes, Disney. And I was like, that's like eight minutes from my house. Oh, the dream. On a stage, which is not outside, you know, there's air conditioning or heater. Like, so you're not working in the cold. You're not mm -hmm. working in the heat. And, and then when you do, you bitch. Because you're like, you forgot what it's like to, mm -hmm. to actually work. Have to, have to wear a hat, maybe yeah. some shade. Yeah. I always and then I forget the some, hat. Because, some sunblock. Yeah. So I have to remember all this stuff that I don't have to really think about that much anymore. But it's like super close. So then another thing is I show up to work and the workload isn't it wasn't as bad it usually is like the commercials usually are. And then everybody on set like was great. And we would go out and 
after work and get drinks or get like my my I've wife fun, now i've heard fun stories about that yeah, show but my wife who was my girlfriend at the time when i you know but she'd be like <clears throat> i'd said text her like i'm going to have some drinks with the boys she goes didn't you work with them all day like don't you not want to see them anymore <laughs> generally like, that 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 happens a lot in our business you will yeah. you'll work a 12-hour day and then Sometimes there's going to be that folk, that individual that uh, maybe doesn't have a family life or anything to go home to. So they kind of no, want to keep the party have... rolling. <laughs> no, Whereas it's, but they then, just wanted to have drinks. yeah, well, that, that, that too. <laughs> and sometimes you're, you feel compelled to go along with it. And other times you're like, well, God, I just, I spent 12 hours a day, five days a week with you. I don't know if I want to go have a beer right now with you too. But no like, problems. Yeah. It was not a big deal. I, I'm, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I wanted to. I was like, and it wasn't like 10 drinks. It was like a drink and like maybe something to eat. Yeah, so right. then Blackish also had like, and this is this is a double-edged sword. They had lunch trucks. These these like they always had like a burger truck or a taco truck or a beignet truck or uh, a good show. A good show always incentivizes, uh, and they know that a happy crew is a productive crew and a crew that's full of tasty food yeah. or yummy coffee drinks or whatnot or even shaved ice or whatnot. Yeah. uh that that goes so much further than you can imagine it really it, it makes people's day it makes people's week I used to, yeah, you know. but i'm gonna i'm gonna shit on that a little bit because oh, when i oh. first well no no because when i first got there i was i i was trying to be good and i was like i remember this one day i was like i think i'm actually gonna be good today and i no, i said i think this might be the show i get in shape on in, the, in two weeks i remember i was like oh my god i said i'm so fun and she this lady she goes how's that going for you? I said, I'm <laughs> starving. I was like so hungry. It's and then difficult. they started bringing this stuff in and I'm like, well, I can't say no to this. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. I got to get three scoops of this ice cream. And, you yeah. know, so, but, and, and honestly, what's weird, funny about that show is they didn't have catering. We had, they had a courtesy breakfast and we'd have a walk away lunch. So we would like eat at the commissary sometimes and pay. But if you're smart, you could just eat crafty the way that they did it and never have to pay for food we sometimes yeah. we still did because of her change of pace the, but dude i gained a shit ton of weight on that show oh man i gained the, a lot the, of weight the big shows that's that's they do it real nice like that instead yeah. of like he's referring to the structured breakfast lunch yada yada they just have such a nice spread at the when we say craft service to to the layman that is basically a snack table imagine going to a really nice party you go up there at the the they got the spread out there with all kinds of stuff a veggie platter or, or sweets whatever you could think of and it varies depending on the job but that's craft service and that's one every of the day is a party great things yeah <laughs> every day is a party that's one of the neat thing one of the many neat things about working in our industry is and we often take it for granted uh, you know not not a whole heck of a lot of jobs out there have snack tables or coolers full of every kind of soda juice or tea you can imagine or espressos and coffee free all afternoon uh so the craft service uh you take advantage of it and on a quality show like blackish uh like bob's saying or like uh, when i worked on the goldbergs uh, same thing just not even snack level almost like meal level stuff kind of delivered throughout the day uh, in addition to all the snacks and you could find anything you could want and yeah you don't pay a dime there is no free lunches in the real world in our life i was yeah I was eating triple decker sandwiches. Oh. I was doing, I had the taco Tuesday and mm. I was doing tacos, but dude, so I went in, I remember I was probably like two ninety, which is already fat. 
I mean, no, I'm not fat shaming. For the folks out there, he's a Bob's a large man. He's a college football linebacker. Line man, line man, line man. Sorry, even fatter. Fatter I'm not. Yeah, I'm apologize to the listeners out there that are are sports people. I am not a sports person, so I will. Dude, foot in the mouth on that one. 290 when I started Blackish, and in February of 2020, I was 340, Mm. and in four months, I lost 80 pounds when we went on the quarantine. Yeah, I lost your, 20 pounds a month. Your transformation throughout the this unfortunate last year we've had is, to me, honestly, the most inspiring that I've personally witnessed. Because no uh, keto, no keto, no diet. You were never an out of shape guy, as far as I was yeah. concerned. You're just a, a mountain dude. of a dude. But then you spent your time more efficiently and more healthily. Got out there on the bike, started doing this yeah. and that. And just, I know, you know, this is. You guys are listening in, but you can't you can't see this gentleman uh, before and after. Hey, Maybe I'll throw up on the I'll throw up on the Instagram. On yeah, I'll throw up on the uh, on the Instagram Walker, <coughs> for the podcast. Post, uh, look at that. Yeah, look at those some before and after pictures of Bob. So <laughs> I'll, I'll send a, you some. <laughs> get the feeling, you know, I'll, 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 I'll show you before you. and after me, and it basically look exactly the same, Dude, uh, if not yep. even, if not thicker. I didn't do anything except I I dude, I used to love soda. I used to drink like a lot of sugar creams in the coffee so i do like i don't drink soda i don't do sugar cream instead of white bread i do wheat bread and then i just watch the amount of food i eat so that's i mean i'm less like controlling my portions i don't snack on chocolates or ice cream and you've never like, been much of a drinker like my my vice nah. is the beers i really like the beer but before you know it i get a santa gut so i'll have a beer you know so I, when i eat dinner but also it's like if i wanted to you know tie one on a little bit you can drink red wine and you can drink straight liquor because they're both what they call low glycemic, you know? So Mm -hmm, they, mm -hmm, they don't mm -hmm. affect you as much, you know? So it's like, but I mean, you have to do, you have to eat like that and you have to do cardio and that's it. I mean, you have to, and then you have to eat for your heart. Like, so I wasn't eating tons of butter, not a lot of cheese, not a lot of red meat. And and it's like, you, like I started thinking, dude, honestly, when I was 340, I was like, dude, I'm going to get so unhealthy. And then somebody's going to have to carry my fat ass around. Oh, yeah. You're going to be on one of those shows. You're going to start bathing gonna, with a rag on a stick. You know? I wash myself with a rag, <laughs> with a rag on a rag stick. On but they're going to they're gonna put needles in my arms because I'm going to be unhealthy. And I was like, I, I don't like needles, dude. So it's like, I kind of changed what I did because I, I didn't want to hurt myself when I get older, you know, and I was in pain. Like my hips hurt. Oh yeah. Shit. My knees well, were hurting. Everything were putting, was in pain, dude. You're putting a lot of strain on the old, on the old machine there. Yeah. What, uh, yeah. Besides. Okay. So blackish number one experience. Oh yeah. Blackish. Number one, dude, number two, tangent. number two, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to throw this out there mainly because of the guy who was working okay i'll do two number two was cosmos with neil degrasse tyson oh cool i did the uh, you worked on that i did the pilot uh dean james did it and i'm a big fan of science and even though i've heard i i had a great time with neil and i i was on set on that and i've heard stories like on the internet but the internet is like a cesspool of toxic bullshit <laughs> where they, they they were talking about how he's somewhat of a jerk or something but he was like super cool and so i was you know i was a big fan of carl sagan too and 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 when he did cosmos and so working on that was was a really fun experience uh at the end of when we were done with the pilot uh we were standing in a circle it was me costello neil 
uh, we were talking about something and this producer came up and had a book that he wanted signed oh, by Neil deGrasse Tyson with a Sharpie. And Neil said, he goes, hey, would you sign my book? And then Neil looks at him, he's like, is that a Sharpie? And the guy's like, yeah. He goes, oh no, I'm gonna sign your book, but we're gonna do this with a real pen. He's like and an astronaut he, pen? Well, no, it's better. He opens up his coat and he pulls out this leather oh, pen dear. holder that has four pens in it. And he oh. goes like, he opens it and it's like Infinity a light comes out of it. Open. He pulls out this like crazy steampunk looking pen and he holds it up and then he goes, he shows it and the producer goes, whoa. He goes, and it's serious. The producer goes, that's a pretty serious pen. And then the, <laughs> and the deal goes, yeah. And when you see this pen, you back up motherfucker. And then, Damn. Hold up. And then he showed the pen to that guy, to James. And then he pointed it at me and I went like this. I went, it's like, <laughs> I went, watch out. We got a badass over here. Oh, no. And that was his meme. That was a meme. They made a meme after him. And he he was the only one who got that. And he goes, because I told him I was a fan. And he what? goes, he just started laughing. He goes, oh my God, you are a fan. And he came over and he like hugged me. And I was like, yes. Whoa. What did <laughs> yes. hey, for the listeners <laughs> out there, what did he smell like? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You I know, feel like. He smells like a uh, a, a warm imagine, spring afternoon. He had been on set all day, so mm -hmm. there was his studio lights, normal mm -hmm. aroma, and maybe a little tinge from the lights burning his hair. But um, it actually, there was a bit of cologne, but not a lot, a little bit. See now, now Bill Nye, he he He's smelled he smelled of man. cinnamon. Bill, <laughs> Bill Nye was there too. He came on. He came. He's kind of. He's kind of a jerk. And he hurt his ankle. He was on crutches. Allegedly. But I didn't get. I didn't get to meet him. So I don't know. I can't. I can say nothing about uh, Bill I've Nye. I've heard of him being rather persnickety with folks. I should say. I should. Yeah. I, I should validate that statement by saying that. The, yeah, I did not firsthand have I witnessed any uh, chicanery from from Mr. Nye. But uh, you know. So, so Osmos yeah, number two. Yeah. Now, so we're going to hug do three, Neil deGrasse. I'm going to do three, and then I'm going to do maybe an honorable mention where yeah. I say a few things, but I won't go into too many details. Right. But number three, the reason I'm saying this is because I got to work with uh, David LaChapelle, who's a Ooh, uber famous photographer. Who uh, nice man. He, he's really he's fucking pretty cool. Uh, we did this uh, Britney Spears photo shoot in a dry lake bed. Chris Schmidt oh. was the production designer. And Costello, I believe he was, I don't know if he was leading or driving. Was this pre-crazy Britney outburst, shave head, umbrella yeah, no. attack? After. after. Well, yeah. I, I've only done after that because I'm not that old. I guess neither I, of us could have really done her earlier stuff. I worked, yeah, I worked on Hold It Against Me uh, music video. There was That was a huge job. I'll get to that maybe later. But mm. So we did um, this photo shoot in the desert. Uh, we So we, we built Chase Sata, uh, rest in peace, was on that job. He That was the last job I ever worked with Chase before he passed away. Remember that. Uh, there was, we built this three walls in the desert, like a room. Uh, and then there was this uh, like set with like all these glass pieces on the floor and stuff. And uh, and David LaChapelle has these like people, these 
interesting people that he has working with him that help him his lens handlers and everyone else they, they know well there's the the crew and he does photography but he has these like he'll go he was in this like w w this wonky like almost middle eastern looking like outfit like he looked like he was going to be in the in in the desert or something <laughs> which we were and then he would shoot for like a couple hours and he had this dude this black dude like uh super in shape like who with like no shirt on or he was wearing like like overalls like super ripped and he'd be like helping with the set dressing and i guess that guy was like his personal assistant that was in his storage area that was also the liaison whenever okay. we were picking shit right. up so but he would say hey i want to help with this and we would go do stuff and then he would jump in he wasn't local 44 i don't wow. care he was jumping in so then he would say after two hours or maybe even an hour and a half he's like shooting and he'd be like snap and he'd be like costume or he's like wardrobe change i thought it was for britney but it's for him oh. and the dude would bring up a new outfit and he brought up this outfit and like presented it and then uh david la chapelle's like are you out of your mind to the guy and the guy's like i was like man that must be the raw he must have brought outfit number three instead of, uh, no and, he, and the guy's like what's wrong he goes it's dusty <laughs> He like hit it out of yeah. his hands, but and I was just like, like oh my god, I'm getting to see like this is real Hollywood right here, you know. And, but he says, bring me, bring me another one that doesn't have dust on it, and if it has dust on it, just knock the dust off and then bring it to me. And so the guy <laughs> picked up that clothes, took it away, and brought like this like sailor outfit or like some sort of weird like Donald Duck looking thing. That'll work. That he, yeah, so he was like, we, we got to shoot there, and and then uh, at the end of the job, uh, he says, the like right when it was like, and that's a wrap, like or right before he says to somebody to turn on this music, and then when that when they so this techno music starts going on, and then I gotta look it up. I don't know if it was techno, but then he, when we're wrapped, he goes, okay, let's party, and then he. Midgets of bowls of cocaine he, strapped to their heads. No, like, but know. he took out some mushrooms or something oh, and just started eating them. Just and really, then all his, yeah, really just right. At, and then all these friends started doing it. And then, and then, right when they started eating them, this other guy just took all his clothes off. And there was, this was it big, like Terry Richardson or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was I don't care. No, it was some one of his friends. And this naked, bald, bearded dude was—he was dancing on this like set dressing thing, like. And I have I have a picture of that. I don't have a I have a video of of La Chapelle like dancing Ooh. because I went through the whole set. Like I went to Chase and to this other girl who was like uh, helping out, and then I saw and then I zoom in on David La Chapelle like like this. Just and gyrating. See, yeah, and then there's this naked dude, and they're all in psilocybin so coursing through his bloodstream. Yeah. But was he discovered by uh, Warhol? I think David LaChapelle was it was discovered by Warhol. Andy Warhol. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. I'll have so, to fact check that. Yeah. So that's it's just that he's done a ton of music videos. Uh, incredible photographer, legend. So I put it up there just because it was like, oh my god, like this is oh, yeah. Hollywood. This is royalty. You know, this is some yeah, Hollywood I, royalty. I, I know what you mean. I've I've had the opportunity to to do a few jobs with him and uh, and Annie Leibovitz, uh, Peter Arnell bunch of big uh photographers and they're all characters in their in their own way uh yeah uh, uh honorable mention, was very nice yeah very nice uh, the, 
the honorable mentions were going to be like any of my Sam Bayer jobs that I worked on. Oh, Sam Bayer. We've done a ton of commercials. We worked on some, also one of his like passion projects. He was shooting like a teaser for some movie. He's retired now, correct? I don't know. I know he's invented like and or redesigned some camera lenses. Uh, He's he's pretty like a character like, you know, and he always loves shooting in the desert because he loves to rent out these stretches of of road because he likes to he has these uh supercars he has like a carrera right 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 uh, right. probably a ferrari he has like and they all have the firefighter like i donated to like this firefighter foundation yeah and then every time he rents these roads out like he always will take every hour or so he will just fucking say time out we're gonna stop shooting get in this car and just go 200 miles an hour just, down this road. Just do some burnout to one that. Now, yeah. uh, for those out there listening uh, who don't know, Sam Bear's a, a big time uh, director of both. Uh, would you say he's more commercial oriented? Well, he started. Or? Well, he started. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he started with commercial. I just I know one of his earliest jo- things that I know him of is. Uh, I think he did "Smells Like Teen Spirit" music video. Yes. Yes. But he but he's notorious for his commercials and f- photography. He's a photographer. But he does a lot of huge big spots. You know, I worked we, with the once I worked uh, with the photographer who did the cover of the Nirvana Nevermind album with the little baby in the pool. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, uh, for the for the folks out there listening in, uh, that is actually the photographer's son because at the time they could not find uh, anyone that would uh, allow their baby to be used. Uh, you know, they basically didn't want to submerge their naked baby for a rock and roll album cover. Uh, and so in the last minute, he just threw his own newborn in there. And uh, history was made as one of the most iconic album covers out there. And now that guy's, you know, in his mid to late 20s, I guess probably by his 30s by now. And, you know, everyone is everyone. He recreated, he recreated that photo, by the way. Oh, with, uh, old man. as an adult with his ding dong yeah. out. Yeah, well, you know, in the first, in that Nirvana album, I heard that they wanted to turn the little baby weenie into a a blunt, but then the record label didn't want to show the marijuana on the album cover. They'd rather see a child's dick. See a child's ween. By the way, I totally made that up right now. Oh, wait, you know, I would believe it. I was like, you said blunt. I was like, that's an interesting angle, because I didn't think they were big into the Chiba. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, at times. Now, let me me ask you this. So, what do you find to be one of the biggest challenges uh, in your in your job as a as an onset dresser? Now, an onset being uh, with production, with the filming crew, when, right there when they're shooting, versus a, a, a what would you call an off production set dresser is is basically setting up the sets beforehand, getting ready for tomorrow's work. Uh, yeah, whereas Bobby I have to get there. right there uh, with the camera, with the actors, and what would you consider some of the main challenges of that? Well, the the when you get there, everything is decorated and set up. A lot of times, a decorator should be there if it's a new set to open it up because that is there's changes. Are. That is the that is generally yeah. the. I don't know if that's the rule, but that's what I've always been taught was yeah. that yeah. But there's going to be changes because it's like everybody's got a different idea of how things are going to look, and then when things are on camera, as soon as like they basically, this de- is my opinion. I mean, this is how I see it as. A, you decorate a set so that when they walk up, it looks beautiful. It also needs to be functional for camera. They're gonna see it. Oh my God, this looks great. You put the camera up and now we gotta adjust so that it fills Equipment, the frame. Equipment, lighting, properly. everything yeah. else but, has gotta get in And 
sound. Big changes. So I have to be, be be able to decide what is a, the appropriate time to call the the department heads to to say hey, or to make an executive decision and actually make the big change. How much time do we have? Is it worth telling them hey? They're getting rid of all the pillows on the couch. Apparently, they the decorators want to know when they're getting rid of stuff. They they really do. I've I've more often than not seen people get in a little bit of hot water. Yeah. Uh, because something didn't end up getting filmed, and yeah. that that is the reason. The director didn't like it. Uh, the uh, the cameraman, the director of photography, uh, who chooses the shots, doesn't like it. Or hell, even maybe an actor sometimes just doesn't like something. That's yeah. a little more rare, but. So you have to you have to take them out let them do their shit and then you have to call them or text them and say hey just so you know they've removed the pillows you send them a picture so you have to communicate um so, uh, the second biggest problem is when i you know before all the covid stuff you are usually the only guy there so one of the hardest things being an onset dresser is you are by yourself and technically you're, you're supposed to ask props unless they're slammed or grips to help you move, move shit like a piece of furniture a couch yeah. or a so there's or to move all that stuff by yourself you have like wheels you have uh, four-wheel dollies you like flip the couch on its back and, and a lot of set dressers will tell you you shouldn't do that because it actually leaves an indentation on the back of the mm -hmm. couch mm -hmm. but in a pinch you got to do what you got to do and you move things out so the one of the biggest challenges also is just being alone and having to move an entire room of furniture out of the way of a camera to shoot a scene and then they depending on how in depth you do like on a comedy you usually do one direction and you turn around uh on certain features you may do a trillion little angles where you kind of go in a full circle around mm -hmm. the room to get your angles and you're going to be going around moving furniture behind with the camera yeah. well, and so then you keep continuity photos so that you know where to put it back. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the key right there is not only is the fact that you're responsible for accommodating the shooting crew uh, in the space, but then you have to put everything back exactly the way it was initially for coverage. And, and the difference between what's known as a single camera show versus a three camera show, uh, your, your standard comedic sitcoms, i.e. your your friends, your Seinfeld, your, I'm, I'm dating myself with these references, maybe some other new hip show that kids like, I don't know. The, oh God. The three wall <laughs> set, uh, meaning that you're, you're never seeing 360 and there, and there's three cameras operating at once, getting the coverage on all the different actors uh, at the same time. So that simplifies things slightly. Whereas a single camera show, they could be looking in any direction at any given time. Thus the sets are, more more for lack of a better word just more uh what would you say crowd not crowded crowd is not the word i'm looking for they're more complicated well the set, sets are that are really complicated because say one of the hardest sets i worked on that i thought was going to be easy and they didn't give me a guy was in a giant house and it was like a four bedroom house we were upstairs shooting i mean we were throughout the whole house but this mm -hmm. particular mm -hmm. day we were upstairs in a four bedroom house that I did a walk around when we, I knew we were gonna shoot in the room and I walked in every room and I said, okay, that room has gonna have grip shit. And there were two empty rooms. I said, cool, this is, I wasn't, didn't think this through. I was like, but I'm gonna be able to put stuff in these rooms. Yeah, never. <laughs> so the moment we were gonna start shooting, they put Video Village in one, and I'm talking about right against the door. And there was a huge room 
they could have backed up a little bit and give me one effing corner to put shit in. But no, they made it super effing tight and stupid. And then the other room was for the actors. The actors went in there and they were doing makeup, wardrobe, and all sorts of things. There was two actors in there doing their thing. So when they went in and said, and they looked at the room and said, we're shooting against the door, that means you have to clear everything that we see. So I have to clear out the mm -hmm. entire bedroom and I had to call a greensman to come help me. And I had to go because the upstairs was just a tiny hallway. I had to take everything down effing stairs. Uh. And we had to go. I actually want to make a short about this. I want to make a short about this day, about that, because I'm trying to get all this shit through while they're trying to get all their shit through this tiny ass door in a tiny ass hallway. And there's grips coming in with these spreader bars, which is a big metal pole that they put up in the ceiling so they could hang lights without hurting the walls. And they're coming in with these eight foot poles and they're swinging like this and these little act, like these stand-ins for the actors are these people, they're like four feet tall and they're like ducking <laughs> like around. And I was just like, and, it, and that's hell. And then again, like the last part, another part that's really hard for me is paying attention to the monitor constantly and teaching myself to not look at them acting. I have to look yep. around them. I have to look yes. at my shit. I have to see the pictures are, are level. I have to see the the uh, lampshades are level and that the seam is facing away from the camera, that Very the blankets look to nice. Get, to get drawn into watching, especially if you're watching a quality performance or, or perhaps yeah. not even a stunt, but maybe some kind of a fight choreography or something. It's difficult yeah. to be uh, just focused entirely on essentially the background when, when there's all kinds of exciting or fun stuff going on in front of you. And then, and the hardest part of that is the only place that you could watch it unless they have a program which i'll get to next but is you have to go to video village to watch the monitor which is packed with a ton of people who don't need to be there and they call and it have, village because it's it is literally just a, a, a swarm of people and sitting in chairs all looking at this tiny little television sized monitor yeah. so you have these little ass monitors and you have the director the dp the uh the script supervisor producers. and then you'll have the you'll have some producers sometimes you'll have writers you'll have a dialogue coach and then all of a sudden this isn't pre-covid you'd have like friends and family mm -hmm. and people who show up and that my job and i don't have a chair there but i usually have to stand there and look over these people to try to see mm -hmm. and then the dp stands up for some reason to stretch yeah. his legs oh yeah and then now nobody can see the stupid i always monitors. feel like they're doing that consciously but nope, you know. not this guy <laughs> he's totally oblivious but anyways but so now you got to see this but now because of covid everything is like you can't it's over now so mm -hmm. now they have our guy blackish he designed a website specifically for blackish so and they have these cameras so the, all the feed is going to this website as well as they have a feed so that we could see rehearsals without oh, yeah. really being there so without them having to run the camera or, or anything or so, so they they set up these eight uh, eyes in the sky to that are a full view of the room so that we that whoever doesn't need to be there for rehearsal can I can sit and watch in my room. Usually I'll have to be there because they make adjustments and I have to move during things the, around. During the blocking, yeah, yeah. But then I can go to my room and watch my feed on my iPad, uh, so that way I don't have to go to Video Village. So it's made my job a lot easier, as well as I can screenshot that. There is an app called QTake, 
Yeah, there's that a was around ones, right? There's uh, yeah. there's, there's Qtake, there's a uh, Sync on Set is another yeah. one. So I have never used that one. So I I used Qtake once on a commercial. Now production has to buy that, and I think it's three thousand dollars, and it only you can only have ten people on. Yeah, then you got to find the, the guy on set with the control over it to get yeah. the secret password for it, yeah. and then you got to say if you're worthy of it or not yeah and that's yeah. the thing so it's like and i was never worthy of it for some reason <laughs> and i was like i'll destroy you look at me i'm now, big and mean i will know? destroy you now Give me that stupid your password. primary position uh, is is obviously a union set dresser uh property guy uh, on set dresser but i know you as well as a very talented musician and you've lent that talent to scoring uh films uh and, and uh television programs and stuff as of late kind of as a as a side project side hustle but you're just you're so damn good at it and i just it boggles my mind that uh what goes into that and i was wondering just it, it, so someone says hey bob i want you to score this film Do, what's the process they give you a copy of the movie you get to watch it and make some notes well before i answer that question do you want a brief kind of like how it so how I got to this place, you know? Yeah, or do you want to know how the process? Listening that says, "Man, I could probably, I'm a good musician, and I really love film and TV. How how can I do what this guy Bob's doing?" So, I mean, I started when I was younger, when I was 15. My my mentor, his name's Tim Kobza. He teaches at USC, and he is like he works with like production. He produces things. Big jazz guitar player in town. And he is one of my biggest music connections. Like if I ever need to get some students uh, to play me like stuff like uh, horn sections or stuff like that in the future, like in the future, like if I ever really needed it, I could probably call him and find people or okay. I could call him and find the best people okay. or through him. I've met the, like good people, but we would go to his house and would record stuff. And he always liked that I was kind of a shredder guitar player. And, that, and then when we record, I was pretty fast at laying things down. And uh, But he kind of got me started. When I went to college, I played football in Memphis, and I did film school there. Uh, I, I also, oh, so I did business, but then I also got a film degree. Like, I did a double major. I should have got a master's, but I didn't do the test. Long story. Hmm. So for film school, I loved doing sound stuff. They had a computer with Pro Tools, and you could get this card that you could open the room at any time, even at like one in the morning. And I would go with like football guys. I would do my project or whatever. <laughs> and I'd be done in like 20 minutes because I was already into Pro Tools, but we would do like hip hop shit in nice. that room. I, and I have a stuff somewhere that I'll try to find. But yeah, anyways, like, there. yeah, that's where I kind of started doing that stuff. And then I got back in town and I started recording with some friends. Now, a while ago, I ended up buying some software and I, you know, I was all right with it, but over the past 10 years, I've taught myself and gotten tips from people how to mix, master, you know, recording techniques, you know, good mics for like, when you're at home, it's different than if you're in a music studio that's like soundproof. Right. Sure. And so I learned little tricks like, you know, um, how to get that almost condenser mic sound with like what they call a dynamic mic sound and like, I don't know, like if you're aware of this, like a condenser, if you like, if you hold it up in a room, that you usually want it really loud, like turned up. Is this thing here? Is this a condenser? I can't. Uh... Well, what's the what's the model? 
Oh, I don't know. It's some, it's uh, I literally looked up podcast microphones <laughs> on Amazon. Well, I don't, well, I, yeah. So, that so example, like, um, I have like a blue mic, it's a condenser, it needs power, like they call it phantom power, and it'll pick up everything in the room. If a fly farts, you'll fucking hear this thing. <laughs> and it, the problem is, if a car goes by really loud, you hear the car go by. If a dog is barking outside, you hear the dog barking, but it's great in a dead environment because it picks up a lot of really cool nuance and stuff like that. Now, uh, the podcast mic that everybody gets is the, do you know about this? It's the Shure SM7B. Oh, I did not know that. Mine's No, but that's a $400 mic. Oh, fuck that. This was $60. Yeah, yeah. it's a $400 mic, but, and you need a gain boost to make it louder, but then... When you talk into it, because it's a dynamic mic, it doesn't really pick up all that other shit. And it's actually the Thriller mic. Like, that's what uh, Michael Jackson sang Thriller on. And you'll be noticing on a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of singers are using that mic because you can get some good sound, almost condenser-like sound out of it. And, and, you know, so you get good quality for for the price, you know. Without the worry of the ambient stuff. So... Yeah, and you still might get a little pending or whatever, but um, but th- so I, I ended up getting one of those mics. I got a really nice interface uh, that has good pre's, and now and then I started, um, you know, being able to create more uh, professional tracks of music. And I started scoring stuff when my friend you recommended- did air quotes there. Yeah. Well, I say well because <laughs> I, my first scoring gig was a commercial. Okay. For a hair salon in Hermosa Beach. Very cool. Called AR Salon. Very cool. And this guy that I used to run a karaoke, uh, we used to do karaoke. I used to run the soundboard at Bigfoot Lodge. What? In, in Los Feliz. I, it was me. I used this to go guy there in Hag- my 20s. I oh, probably yeah. saw you before I knew you. So the guy who ran the, the, the karaoke, his name was Big Mike. He was seven foot tall. And then he died of a heart attack. Ooh. And then his friend, big bad gym took over and i used to go i started going there on a monday uh when it, a, a shitty night like it was a monday night and i went to go hang out with friends and it was fucking as lame as a monday night could be and <laughs> i i went back home and i saw oh my god there's some people that you know good looking people outside of the bigfoot lodge and i was a karaoke whore so i went in you have a beautiful and, voice yeah well they were singing karaoke and I was like, oh, hey, this is my spot. And I and then I sat down at the bar and there was this girl named Carol. She had pink hair and this half Asian or maybe Asian. I don't know if she's half or full. She's really cute, really nice. And uh, I said, I've never been here and I've lived here my whole life. She goes, you're local? And I said, yeah. She goes, drinks on the, this beer's on the house. And I was oh, like, there you go. this is my beer, this is my bar. And so um, Big Mike died shortly thereafter and Big Bad Jim took over. And he was a ham. He would kind of go around and he loved mingling with everybody. And then people would be done with the song and then you just hear silence. And I'd be like, he usually had something on the board, like an iPod, and he would put the music up, right? So I sat there and I saw that guy done and I saw him being a fucking ham, mm-hmm. schmoozing. And so I just put the sound up. And then he heard the, the iPod go on and he came over, he goes, hey, like, thanks for doing that. He goes, you know how to do that? I was like, yeah, I do sound. I do shit. Like, I'm a musician. Yeah. He goes, watch the, hey, watch the board. You could drink for free all night. And then Woo-hoo. he ended up, 
he ended up saying, you want to do this every Monday? I was like, I was going to be there any every Monday anyways. Now you're going to get free drinks and control the tunes. But And he gave me like 50 bucks. <laughs> so I got a free drinks. A lot of people. That's all. No, yeah, free drinks. But even on, because I became part of that whole situation, even when I wasn't working, man, I don't know if I'm going to get people in trouble for this. But, the, but when I went there, my buddy Mike. This was like the, 15 years ago, probably 20 years ago, right? 2006, seven, 2007. Yeah. So when I went there, the no matter what, no matter what, no matter how much I drank, I never paid more than $14, Ooh. like even outside. And I, w- I never asked for it. I didn't say, hey, it's me, Bobby. Give me a discount. Right. I just said, hey, how you doing? And I would order drinks and I'd have a tab and it'd be like $7, even if I had four drinks. Yeah. Or, oh, so maybe it'd be 14 bucks. So I'm uh-oh. karaoke with and then eventually so bad jim, so bad jim had a buddy named haggis and he, it would be these yeah. names are getting progressively better haggis also ran the board it was me and haggis and then jim ended up i think jim ended up getting kicked out of there because he offended carol or some that carol's like the boss carol was is married to bobby the who is their manager they were like the managers of bigfoot lodge they are also work with club group 33 that they did the the highland park bowl they oh, do I love that place. they did idle wild that bought the, the highland see? park bowl used to be mr t's bowl correct yeah. I, I guess i mean but i used to but, go to punk shows at mr t's bowl they did Great. the bar stinkers and they also they turned stinkers into they they they, they revamped it to the thirsty crow but these people managed are managing some of the hippest bars in LA for group 33. Uh, anyway, so they kicked Jim out and they said, you're done. You can never come here again. And Jim's like, okay, I guess Haggis and Bobby, you guys are the karaoke guys. So he could still get his money. And then he'd pay us uh, on a side note. We would also, uh, every Monday, I ended up meeting my neighbor, Mikey there. And after every day, after every Monday before Jim got canned, uh, he would give me 50 bucks more to go to CVS to buy a giant thing of Jack Daniels Ooh. and as much extra like beers, whatever's on sale to go over to Mikey's house to have an after party. And we would invite all these sorts of people. And like, like a lot of like the who's line is it anyways, people would go to oh, nice. Bigfoot Lodge, but like, no, but like we had like big Bader and people like that. It would be, uh, yeah, well, no, I don't think I, he may have come once, but we'd see Drew Carey came in sometimes to the Bigfoot Lodge. It would be uh, this guy named Jeff Davis, who was, uh, he actually did some announcing on the uh, Price is Right sometimes. Uh, Wayne Brady came and he did not want to sing karaoke because he wasn't getting paid, because he wasn't getting paid. But anyways, we would, and then like, I think Henry Thomas, the kid who played Elliot and E.T., he came by the house the after also party one suicide time suicide kings great film. it was five, i got that movie for five dollars at walmart Terrific. <laughs> that's real. yeah but anyways but that was the bigfoot lodge and i was doing sound there and i was working with haggis jim ended up coming back eight months later pretending like nothing happened oh. and then he kept coming back and then carol came in and was like i what are you doing here? and it was a big fucking thing and then they ended up firing him completely from there no more karaoke from Jim, and they hired other people. Just they actually hired Giovanni, the set dresser. Giovanni, t- I, I, you know, it's funny as I was uh, just uh, conversing with him via uh, messenger just uh, just today. Uh, he used the, to do. Facebook. He used to do 
karaoke at the Bigfoot Lodge too. He used to run it on the computer. That's hilarious. I did not know that. I met him on uh, on How I Met Your Mother when he, yeah. he was day playing with us season season eight. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But oh, but before so before the anything, technical go- aspect of the scoring. Oh yeah. You covered. I feel. Well, I, I but... said. Well, yeah. Well, I also. I, so Haggis recommended me to do music for a commercial. Okay. And I had Here's Logic. I just got. I, yeah. I just got Logic, which is a, a, a. It's like a recording software that Apple makes. Um, I was more into Pro Tools, but when I started working on Logic, I was I was able to get going quicker and okay. get stuff out. I was. It was really easy to find and work with the virtual instruments, which are basically you know playing horns and synthesizers on mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so the virtual instruments were easy to do and then um <clears throat> so basically i was able to get some tracks out and i didn't know how to mix and master very well so i did my best i didn't understand the concept of mastering yet and there was a website called lander l-a-n-d-r.com mm-hmm. that does they basically has a mastering program I'm like having a just, beverage. Keep talking. No, you could. You can plug in your music, and it'll master it for you. But be, but not good, you know. But good enough, and it actually worked out. Over time, I looked up like videos on YouTube, and I talked to some friends, and I got, you know, I learned how to mix and master a little more properly. I hate mixing, um, but I'll do it. But anyway, so. I started making tracks for this lady who was a director for various commercials that she worked on. And then also for people on set, they'd have projects. And like example, when I was on Blackish, one of the ADs came up and he goes, hey, how much does it cost to record a trumpet player? And I was like, Hmm. one trumpet. And he goes, yeah. I was like, okay, uh, 55 an hour for the engineer. And then somewhere between 50 and a hundred bucks an hour or a session for the player. It'll probably be a hundred bucks for the player. I, and then I walked away a little bit and I came back. I was like, why do you want one trumpet? He goes, I'm trying to make this uh, music for a, a, a short film. Like it's like a fake comical documentary about the porn industry in the seventies, hmm. loosely based off of this fictional character as a 19 inch penis. Oh. And then he, I said, so wait, you're trying to make a song for a scene with one trumpet. I said, let, let me make some music for you, dude. I said, send me the scene and then send me a reference song. So he sends me the song called Easy. Oh, damn it. It's some type of like, um, uh, it's got this like Louisiana, like fun horns and right. like feel to it. Oh, God, this is going to piss like me a, off. Like a, because... like, a, like a Mardi Gras type vibe music or it's just like it was like yeah well, yeah but like goofier it was like oh. it was kind of this fun. so basically it, he sent me this track and i said you were going to do this with a trumpet i said dude there's a tuba there's a trombone there's a trumpet there's drums i said here so right after he sent me the thing and then he sent me his video and it had temp music and it, i was like you're supposed to just get a video maybe with just dialogue so you could score it around the words. Right. But he didn't do he sent me a YouTube video that <laughs> I had that I had to rip the video. To like isolate the sound or whatever. No, well, no. I, I well, I had to there's an app called oh God, they're gonna shut this thing down. There's a website called y2mate.com where you can go put videos from YouTube and you can suck the sound out. No or shit. you can or you can if if you can, sometimes you can get the whole video. 
you can download the video with the sound. Huh. So I downloaded the video because th you put that into Logic and now you have a video that you can, you have a timeline to score around. Okay. So, you, right. so I have a bunch of monitors, so I'll have a thing on the monitor and I can kind of play along to the video and make it work. Uh, so I put the video in, but then it had temp music. So I couldn't hear the dialogue really. So I had to turn the volume down on the video and watch the video and kind of guess where they were talking. Right. And maybe even like, I would, I watched the video with sound and I put, made notes if there was off screen dialogue so that I didn't step on their dialogue with All certain right. elements of my, I, I would never even thought of that. Okay. That's crazy. So, yeah. Well, so I, and then I made this song and it took me two hours to make a full song that was like what I would consider like a first run at it. Like it's, it's the full song though, like the idea. Right. And I sent him the song and he goes, you did all this in two hours. And I was like, yeah, I said, I would have done it sooner, but I, but I had a hard time with your stupid audio that you didn't fix for me. I mean, a fucking YouTube video. That's what I, I know I was so pissed. And then I said, uh, tomorrow I'm going to go through and tighten everything up. And then I, I spent an hour tightening everything up and then I sent it to him because uh, he wanted to get it into a film festival. And then he recommended me to someone else on Blackish who was doing something and it just snowballed from there. Now, did this all happen? <clears throat> this must have happened after. And I've heard this story secondhand, not directly from you ever, but you apparently wrote a jingle for something that you then sold and used the money to purchase your sick ass Corvette that I've seen. Yeah, I wrote some song, a jingle. Uh, what was the jingle yeah. for? Uh, well, it was unused, but it was like a, a Target jingle. Nice. And they paid you how much money? <laughs> oh, well, me and a friend, because my friend was the engineer on that, because I was like in my 20s. All right. Uh, they paid, they bought us out for 130 grand that we split. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the choice wow we could either do five grand each with the with residuals when it quote if and when it showed oh so or thankfully 130 000 up front thank god we are lucky yeah. because they didn't end up doing i never ever saw a commercial with it and if we did then we would have only had 10 grand but oh. i regret not throwing that shit on bitcoin or apple or fucking any of those tesla but anyways yeah. So, yeah so i split that money and then i literally spent every penny i had because oh, i had to pay corvette. taxes i had to pay taxes yeah i bought a corvette straight cash <laughs> see that's that just sounds like a fun thing to say out loud <laughs> yeah i bought a corvette straight cash i know it was uh yeah. it was so dumb but you know i still oh, have the car uh, and it only has 70 it has 70,000 miles on I've it. Only and I only drive it once. Yeah. Well, I only drive it uh, on vacations, like when we do road trips and oh. things like that. Every now and then I'll drive it around town. I like to go to the beach in it and stuff. That makes sense. But so, yeah. okay. So the, the, the creative aspect of the scoring, like sometimes obviously maybe the director, whoever gives you the project says, well, I'd like, I would like this type of emotion to be uh, elicited in this or solicited in this scene uh or, or are there instances where the, you're not given that kind of direction where you're just supposed to interpret what's going on on the screen musically to so by yeah. the moment i'm sure that will happen someday as of right now 
every the director that I worked with on those commercials knew exactly what she wanted and okay. she would send me a reference and then I would build a song based loosely off of that okay and but I would try to make it my own as much as possible sure. and then second of all on my recent project I was given instructions to to basically I get, I got some reference pieces and then for this main action sequence they asked me to do something that was like piano and cello. And then I actually fought against that because in my opinion, it was an action scene where that was really heavy. And I felt that I could, I wanted to convey more layers of detail right. with a heavy, more hard hitting song that mm -hmm. might attack the audience as well. And, and also show contrast to when the lady was sleeping because it goes back to this lady sleeping. All right, all right. It cuts back out and goes quiet. And then when it goes back to the, the scene, it comes back at you because it's. I wanted to show while everybody's sleeping at 4 a.m. in the scene, this guy's getting destroyed. It's like abrupt so, chaos. So the reality so, of the moment just interpreted musically. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a lot of people in, the, in that were in, in charge really liked it. But there's somebody or some people that did not like it because they want the scene to be more emotional sure and it's like where it's my song i was like i almost am making people mad with it because it's like a, like the story behind it because i tell the story that's but important. He, he said he wanted it to be more focused on the action on the screen and and the actor's performance and to make it piano and and sad because it's like they want to try to make people feel more sad so i have to go in and again and then i'll be coming up with something that and, and i was like damn you know i love that thing but so i'm actually going to try to push for it to be at the end more but they they want the sad violin music for the scene so i have to do it and that's and it is what it is no it's a, i mean i'm not mad about it that's sure, what the sure. direction is they have a vision and so that's the the thing as a composer, and you know, I actually can I say something? I don't know if this is gonna sound stupid. You can say whatever the heck you want here, Bobby. But this is a free zone. Do you, I learned a lot actually? Besides from my friends and working with them and doing this for a while, mm -hmm. I got kind of more re, reinvigorated with my confidence and my approach when I watched Hans Zimmer masterclass, as well as the um, uh, Danny Elfman. Masterclass. Danny Elfman, a singer from Oingo Boingo, a husband of Bridget Fonda, daughter of he, Fonda. He, uh, well, he's, he actually, he, he's so he was married. He's, he's married uh, to someone else now, right? Oh, I mean, whoops. Well, yeah, Danny, my timing, they were married at one time. Yeah, I know but, Danny uh, Elfman because when he was talking about uh, making the music for uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, his wife at the time wrote that movie, who, so she was a writer. I don't know if he had been married to someone I will, before. I will. I will look it up. I knew him initially from uh, a little film called Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> where he has such a raging party that Oingo Boingo plays the party, and they play one of my favorite songs, "Dead Man's Party" by Oingo Great Boingo. Song. Outstanding song. I just love that he parlayed a, a successful music career into an incredibly even more successful. Uh, musical scoring career like arguably uh, Hans Zimmer is a legendary name sure uh, 
who, who who's the fellow is escaping my name uh, or my my mind right now it does all the star wars and, and stuff because that's the Will, john williams yeah that's the third big name like yeah the, bump, 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 bump. yeah that yeah that guy yeah well the, elfman uh, danny like, elfman he i didn't even realize this well he was talking about his roots like his music roots he went to africa and like was playing with these guys that played rhythm and drums and he got a lot of stuff from there and then when he was first starting off in bands he only wanted to play 1930s pre-1930s jazz stuff this like horn stuff or something mm. and then he heard ska and that's and how he started he heard... <laughs> that's how he started oingo boingo oh i love oingo boingo Just but see this is not the ska that... to bridget fonda ever yeah. since 2003 Okay, so he get, then that means he divorced the other lady who was the Nightmare writer. for Christmas was... 90s. Yeah, I, I want to say. Yeah. I never but, got into but, that one, by the way, side note. But, but the, yeah, well, but so ska music that he heard isn't the ska music from the 90s, like Real Bad Fish. Well, it's a real, big, same, real, big fish. real like, big fish. Real big fish. What did you say? Not real bad fish. <laughs> uh, you know, that's arguable. Uh, Deborah Harry, I, you know, aka Blondie, was initially ska reggae before uh, Phil Spector, uh, rest in peace, just died yesterday at six p.m. Well, he he shot the woman who played the wife of the science teacher in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and that's fucking terrible. Arguably, he's also a, a weasel to anybody who's ever done music with him. Thief, charlatan. Okay, sure. I will say that, but he was the guy, <laughs> part of glass was initially a reggae song and yeah. he's like, hey you guys heard of this disco stuff so i mean he was responsible we, for their biggest hit and i just watched that note, Bee Gees. You know, deborah Harry, the bg's documentary is terrific yeah. deborah harry was almost a victim of ted bundy look it up fun fact damn well, oh, is it fun club. i mean it's fun because he didn't fun, get her i guess fun fact because it's just like whoa what the heck literally almost got into his car good looking fella arm in a cast his mo the way that he would uh, make people feel comfortable around him. As she was getting into the car, before she closed the door, she noticed there was no interior door handle on the passenger side. And she's like, what the fuck? And he kind of started to speed up, and so she just threw herself out of the car as he sped away. Weeks yeah. later, when he was caught, she was like, oh, shit, that was the guy who tried to pick me up. I never heard that. That's fucking yeah. crazy. Well, that's kind of nuts. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, yeah that, that Bee Gees documentary is terrific. I had no idea the, the craziness of those guys' I mean, yeah. most of your average individual just thinks, oh, yeah, staying alive. Yeah. I had no idea that they basically changed musical genres like three or four times in their career. Yeah. Well, also, that when they did Staying Alive, as a person who's been doing production, music production stuff, how they showed them do loops by manually cutting the tape and creating loops with the drummer. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the drummer wasn't there because his dad died. Right, right, so right. They, right. They said, well, hey, why don't we make a song with this drum loop? And they showed him actually mark the tape with chalk, take it, copy that loop. And like, they created a loop analog. And then and then they did those. Dun -dun 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 -dun, and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I actually like I earned a new respect because honestly, like every time I loved I'd like the Bee Gees looking back, but I actually talked a lot of shit about them growing up because I was always did. most people it yeah. was considered nerdy when we were younger. It was like, huh, the Bee Gees and their jumpsuits and their high voices. Yeah. Well, I was a different generation too because I I was big into Guns N' Roses and like the eighties uh, shit and baby. Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. So of course, when I hear the Bee Gees, I was like, what is this like? Water, you know? I always imagined the uh, what's that? Uh, 
Barry Gibb was he the main one? The the Barry's the only one that's still alive. He's yeah. A so Barry, but he sang really high, right? He did, and that that's what I found so crazy about the documentary is the fact that them as a group did not know that they were capable of singing falsetto, nor had they ever tried until it just accidentally occurred when he was singing. I forgot what he was singing on. But the the yeah. producer asked Barry to do some get a little higher, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh shit, I didn't know I could go up like that." And then all of a sudden they're all doing it. I have something to say about that, but I'm going to first say, <laughs> I I, no, yeah, but I'm first going to say that I always made fun of this. Like I always had this bit where I'd go, um, you'd see like Barry Gibb, he'd like come into this club all magical with his like little like priest outfit or whatever the hell they, they wore this like magic outfit with glistening stones. They're and he'd close. come up to some, he'd come up to some chicks with his hairy chest in their face. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, Hey baby, I got a rock band you want to come check my band out? And then they'd be like, oh my God, yeah, I'd love to see it. And then they'd come on stage and they'd be like, his normal speaking voice is, it's almost as if, and no disrespect to Mr. Gibb, but it almost sounds as if he's got too many teeth in his mouth. It's like, it's like his voice is fighting his teeth to come out and say something. So something about the Bee Gees as a music guy, and this is all, like we're covering a lot no, of, we're covering a lot of bases on this and there's I no, you're an amazing amazing guest this is this is going <laughs> tremendous i i was nervous folks i was nervous as my first podcast love listening to podcasts thought maybe i could do one uh i'm not nervous talking to bobby i think i think bobby and i probably need to co-host a, a separate spin-off i always well, we had to talk about eight, that '80s movies. You wanted to do a thing on. We got to talk about that, you know. We so, do. Um, we do. Th- so something I want to talk about. Is, I'm not saying it's a theory. I'm not saying that I have any it's scientific. A B, is it a Bee Gees theory? This, well, it's not just Bee Gees. <laughs> it's it's actually a music industry. It's a music industry. Um, a music theory. No, well, it's <laughs> it's it's like a, I have a, a little bit of a problem a bit with the music industry in a in a sense. Um, listening so big the Bee Gees, music. Bobby's huh? got some. I said, "Are you listening no, to big but, music?" Bobby's got some. The Bee Gees. So the Bee Gees. All of a sudden, you know, they had some success here, some success there, but they didn't explode in the success until he sang with that falsetto voice and did Perfect. the disco shit. Who was popularizing the falsetto voice and kind of the disco shit before the Bee Gees? The only person I can think of that was doing falsetto and was successful with is Tiny Tim, but. But, well, uh, no, no, no. I'm talking really about like, but but in that vibe was black musicians. Well, true. Yeah, well, it did. It it did seem like he was kind of yeah, definitely biting. They that even style. talked about it in the documentary. Yeah, he's definitely that, biting that style. For so, sure. the, the, I just see it. Something that annoys me that's kind of a trend is, you have these black musicians who came up with some stuff, and then a white person does it, kind of more vanilla. That's, and then it takes off and it happens with music for the last 200 years <laughs> it, it happened with besides like rock and roll too because they did the same Barry. that's a black person <laughs> but it also happened a big when i really actually clicked with me it happened with amy winehouse and and then i'll tell oh, you she I sang so, like saying. r&b soul like this she had this like doom, 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 and she'd be like eh, eh, she'd say oh it's a it's a uh, like not like a re- not like Aretha Franklin. Like but. I knew I would. She had this like jazz thing that she was doing, and it was kind of like black people music. Then she died, and then they were repl- like, "Oh my God, we need another white woman to sing black music." And then they got Adele. Adele replaced 
Amy Winehouse, that hole yeah. that she left. It, yeah. it, no, it is an interesting it, theory. It's it's, I, it's 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 yeah. I don't know enough Adele music except for the hello. Uh, other than that, but one, it's soulful music that's kind of white. It's like white people singing kind of black would, music. I would suggest, and then oh, they win all the Grammys. As they win part all of the this Grammys. theory, I would say Billie Eilish is is kind of in there with that breathy style of of singing that's kind of a biting an older uh, form of music. Uh, you but know, I guess I, at this point, like you know, it's been said that there's no musical note progression that hasn't already been played at some point like there's everything is inspired and i'm a musician and i have things that inspired me there's sounds that i like there's chord progressions i like i've never invented a chord progression and i don't think i will it's i really don't kind of impossible at this point isn't it because yeah you know and i will not say it's impossible you you, it's not it's weird you say theoretically it's but i mean how many say yeah, well, I'm not a numbers guy, but someone was to crunch the numbers on how many different chords one could actually pull out of a guitar and then think about how many different combinations they're in. It's I don't know, because guy, but... because in music theory, there is the theory that works. There's the theory of what chords work together. What key are you in? What mode are you in? What country of origin are you playing from? Because different countries emphasize certain like like areas of a melody like on like there's seven okay the bottom line is there's 12 notes there might even be stuff in between but i'm not going to count those on a piano it goes c to c and then there's everything in between there's 12 notes usually in a song structure you can pull from seven because like usually a, a melody, you, what is it like when you go C to C on a piano? Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. I wish right? I, had, I had done piano when I was yeah. younger. My sister But you've did. heard that. Haven't you heard do, re, mi, fa, yes. sol, la, ti, oh, yeah. do? And do, you heard those notes? Female, but you hear right. those notes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the basic scheme of music, those seven notes, like that makes up everything. That makes up the minor sound. Everything is in those seven those seven right. notes. Right, hundreds of millions of combinations possible then. Well, yeah. So so say you're playing those chords and those notes. When you're writing a song, you might go to a different key. You might change keys. You might change your melody. You might take this weird turn and transition to something else. And it's like if you play Bohemian Rhapsody on piano or guitar, he plays a chord on every from every note, like he, what I'm saying is he plays every chord, like every one. He plays like C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, right, uh, right. F, F sharp, G. He plays every chord somewhere, somehow in that song. And it makes sense, you know? But, but just because you play all those chords, there's also major, minor, augmented, uh, seven major seven i mean there's all these numbers and those are basically you're adding melody inside of your chord and it's hard to explain but that is a that is a lot of musical a lot of musical business let me ask you this question that i am going to it's going to be the thing that i do on each one of these episodes good my guest is going to be asked this particular question (laughs) and that is and and it kind of kind of goes back to the concept around this whole podcast the art and business the business and art 
you know, because what we do is, is very artistic, but yet at the same time, it's in the name of money. You know, we might do a big fancy set so someone can sell some more toilet paper or something. But uh, it's a two-pronged question. What do you feel in your career has been the biggest example of uh, the money, that the business aspect, the money aspect influencing an artistic vision uh, negatively in the sense that say, well, here's how this would be a perfect scene, but we're not willing to spend the money. And then conversely, uh, an instance in your career that you've witnessed uh, a situation where money was no object, that the art of it was most important and spare no expense. You know, we don't, you know, doesn't matter how much it costs, make it happen. Oof, that's a tough one uh, because I've seen a lot more, depending on like the job you're on, I've seen a lot where it's like, almost seems like depending on who the director is, that's when the money is no object. Uh, money is no object. They shot a commercial for Toyota and it was a two week job. And they went and they, when they were editing after the two weeks of shoot multi, you know, that's a lot of days, right? Mm -hmm. 14 days of shooting. Yeah. And they for, found for the, out the folks out there not in our business. That's, you know, about a hundred crew members, 14 days. That's a lot of money for a commercial. So, that's they top found, dollar. 14 days. They found out. And they were huge sets. It was Rob Bono's the designer. All right. And they great. had, we were on a stage with dirt. Like we put all this dirt and like, we made this like field of like with, we had a tree and there it was like, we had these humongous sets and they had to reshoot every one because there was some stabilization issue with the camera on the dolly and that nobody picked up and like so apparently there you push a dolly it needs to be a smooth camera move right. and if there's some little wobble they see there's no way to fix that yeah. and nobody saw it and that's something crazy because there's all these people in the agency and their job is to watch the monitors. And I look over there and they're on Facebook and they're yeah, on like they're Instagram. Their, their, you know, again, no, no yeah. offense to those folks out there that are yeah. producers, agency folks. A lot of the times us uh, below the line uh, folks that are on set, we do notice a lack of attention being presented towards something that is supposed to be the only reason we're all there. Uh, and we're getting paid significantly less to pay way more attention. <laughs> but that's, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Now, so that's an example of spare no expense. We're going to make it happen because they had to make it happen. How about an instance where uh, the vision was compromised based on money, whether it be how much time it's going to take, that's too much money. Uh, it, we can't build it because it costs too much. Uh, we can't get, uh, well, I don't want to say an act. Well, I guess an actor choice or an actor's choice in a way is an artistic choice, but We'll stick more to hey can we get danny elfman to score this one or or let's get uh you know rick the guy that works at radio shack to do it like that that kind of a scenario and uh i'm really trying to say this is to really trying to rack my brain you know because <clears throat> i've worked on a lot of projects and it just seems like they kind of figure it out the only times i've ever seen it like if if i've been not in the art world like I've heard them say they want music and they can't, they don't want to pay for the music or right. I, I mean, I've seen it on blackish where there was some legal issue and they, somebody forgot to do it soon enough to get things done. But it, it's something with the film world is they'll say they want something and it's sometimes it's been a location or it's been some other place and either they can't get it 
and we find ways to build two walls. Oh, we always like find a way. That way. So it's like I've I've seen it. I mean, I've never seen whatever job I've done fail because we could they couldn't figure We're out something because of money. Not necessarily yeah. fail so much, but just you could honestly tell in that moment that the true artistic vision of what was trying to be accomplished was compromised based on a on a dollar amount. But these again, but do you know why that's a tough question too? Like, because no, because here, here's an example. Because you, whose vision? Because the director has his vision, the producer has the vision. The what if it's a shared vision? vision? For example, now this one we found a way, as we always do. That's kind of our job is to find a way to save people who make more money than us. We find a way to make more money for them. Uh, a little video you and I did uh, for a rap artist. Uh, I, I was just going to bring that Anderson up. Anderson Pock, great guy, just... fantastic guy, great video all around. Just an amazing thing. Uh, production he's designer, Carlo killer musician, Maslow, fucking awesome guy. Uh, also check out his new movie he production designed called Spree. It's on yeah. Hulu. Can't recommend it enough. Carlos Lazo, great guy. Uh, on that shoot, there was a sequence where they wanted the artist, Anderson, to jump off a diving board into a full swimming pool full of money. So uh, we examined the cost uh, of attempting to partially fill an empty swimming pool with fake money. Uh, and, and no matter how we crunched the numbers, no matter how we tried to make it work it it was just not financially feasible it would have cost more than the entire video and it would have looked kind of dumb ultimately so it was going to be scrapped but then at the last moment they determined well this is this is a key shot so we're going to make it we're going to make the financial uh push to make it happen so they did it in cg and it looked terrific and i'm, I'm guessing that had to cost significantly less than us filling a gigantic swimming pool I mean, obviously we weren't going to fill it all the way top to bottom. You know, we were going to fill the bottom with crash, pad, you know, big pads or whatever, but still it would have, the artistic vision won in that, in that case, but it almost didn't because they looked at the numbers and said, Hmm, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of it. Cause I think I, I remember that. I mean, I remember them talking about that. I remember uh, filling in for you uh, on the scout mm -hmm. and they asked a bunch of questions and I said, well, if you're going to want to do this, you're going to have to build, some fake wall here and you're gonna have to do this here and they didn't feel like doing that either so or they having, ended up having not shooting in there having the artist hanging from a chandelier well we decided to go on the roof uh take apart a skylight uh reinforce the uh cable and then hand it off to the fx people and, and let them do it and, and it looked terrific um bobby i have had a terrific time in this interview i want to just share one last thing uh, it's just my most fond memory of you and I working together although we've had a, a zillion fun projects we've done we've done all kinds of shit over the years but there was a commercial in which you and I were working on and uh they were shooting the shooting crew was right in the other room and you and I oh. were uh, attempting to be quiet we were just saying right off right out of, of camera's view in the kitchen and I, I can't recall which one of us started this but you did uh, I was me uh there was a moment of flatulence that occurred that was attempted to be uh, silent, but as a result of leaning against the tile countertop and just uh, some kind of an angle or something, at any rate, it was loud enough 
that it ruined the take and caused Bobby to, and myself to begin giggling. Well, they cut, uh, they began rolling again, and then Bobby presented as big or larger of a uh, flatulent uh, explosive noise. And as a result, uh, once again, we ruined the take. They cut, and uh, we were reprimanded, as I recall, and we were in there laughing, giggling like a couple school kids. And uh, it, uh, just that moment's always stuck in my head. I know that that's not the most riveting story, but had you been there, uh, it would have uh, would have really made you giggle too. Well, he, he Scott uh, laid into the tile. Uh, the tile made the the sound the times reverb. ten. <clears throat> it, well, it, what happens is scientifically, when you're when you're pressed against the hard surface like that, it'll amplify those teeny bubbles mm. loudly. Mm. So then. When he was done, we were caught up in the moment. I, it hit some sort of nerve where I had to do something too. And I was also pressed against the tile. Mm. And mine, uh, because I have the tighter of the rectums, <laughs> uh, came out ten, twice as loud. <laughs> and then so some no gentleman there. No argument some, there. Some gentleman came in and said, "Are you guys? Are you guys fucking serious?" Okay, I think he's are you guys children? Are you guys fucking children or something like that? And we were <laughs> red faced and giggling to the point of tears. But I'll leave the listening audience with that. This has been the first official episode of the Artist and the Salesman with your amazingly dynamic host Scott McDonald. Where can we yeah. find your podcast, Scott? Well, you can find this podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on... Hold on, that's a great question. Let me list some other ones. Breaker, Google Podcast, Radio Publicist, Pocket Casts, and more coming soon. So this will be the first one. This, this sucker is going to be... Uh, this is going to open all the doors. We're definitely going to have Bobby back. Because obviously, this guy hasn't even cracked the surface on fun stories, experiences, and knowledgeable tidbits. We're gonna have him back in uh, <laughs> upcoming episodes. We're gonna have we're gonna have uh, some directors. We're gonna have some production designers, some set decorators, stylists, actors, actresses, influencers, uh, sound engineers. I've got the uh, the head uh, of the sound engineer department for the show Atlanta wants to jump on here. Great guy I went to high school with by the name of Trevor Gates. Uh, please tune in. Please check us out. Please check out Bobby's podcast, which is called again. The White Wolf. It's White Wolf's Den. No H. W-I-T-E-W-O-L-F. White Wolf's Den. Uh, it says music. There's some film. And then every now and then there's a wild card uh fairly soon i'm gonna uh, do one kind of i need to do uh current events you know state of the union talk about a little bit about my weight loss and uh, how you guys could do it too and it's there's no fucking trick to it that's all well, i gotta say you just gotta eat like an adult that's i'm gonna eat like an adult diet. i'm gonna tune into that one because i would like to be more ropey i want to have the physique of uh john krasinski in the film uh 13 hours the michael bay action film uh, just google that you'll see his ropiness and that's what i want to accomplish and i'm hoping you'll have me on your podcast so we can uh, just spend time talking about 80s movies 
Uh, that's I can't wait. You, you tell me whenever you want to do that, and we'll do that. And I, I need even, to even if we have to just do a bonus episode uh, here on the uh, artist and the salesman of just uh, just about that. Whatever but, works, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Bobby White Wolf Garofalo, first official guest of the artist and the salesman. I am Scott McDonald signing off today. Please tune in to our next cast and have a great day. Try to accomplish something significant each and every day. Copy that. Later, bro. Laters.